Hello, welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor CIO. Manufacturing has typically been well behind the pack when it comes to digital transformation. As a result, its ability to innovate and cut costs has been limited. Certainly compared with other industries in Australia and many other advanced countries, forced to ship more and more manufacturing offshore to Asia and other regions with cheaper labour and other lower cost spaces. Yet there are definite new green shoots in this country with moves afoot within the local manufacturing sector to more fully embrace technologies like AI, the industrial internet of things, IIoT, and of course robotics to ensure we're able to continually make stuff that people want and at a sustainable price point. And joining me now are Stephanie Christian, who's the Research Director for IDC Manufacturing Insights and also a former uh, professor with the University of Wollongong. Stephanie, welcome to the CIO Show. Great. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. And Brian Green, who's the CIO with PepsiCo ANZ. Brian's held many CIO roles over the years, including stint, 15 years stint at McCain Foods. He's also worked in the fire and rescue area in New South Wales and was also at the coalface of the merger between Allied Mills and Pinnacle Bakeries. Brian, welcome to the CIO show to you too. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Now, Brian, I understand that you, you essentially questioned the premise of this episode, uh, being that manufacturing is behind the pack when it comes to digital transformation. And you, in fact, boast as well, as far, well, certainly as far as PepsiCo is concerned, that you've built a data analytics capability you and your colleagues affectionately refer to as the Ferrari. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I refer to it as the Ferrari. Are you doing? Are you just on your own with that? <laughs> we call it NGAA, Next Generation Advanced Analytics, is the yes. name for the Ferrari. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, we kind of doubled down in this area of advanced analytics some years ago and have been building a best in breed analytics platform. Our colleagues and um, the U.S., uh, you know, onboarded people from other organizations to do that and build what we call as NGAA. And the, the task is to build it and keep it alive and well. And then we take it forward in terms of how we go about leveraging the marketplace. So we use the concept of platform product and use case. So our business goes up, identifies the opportunities or the issues, and we build products on top of that, that platform. So what was the impetus for, for developing it? Oh, we realized we've got hordes and hordes of data, be it internal or external, and we want to spend less time on, you know, trying to make sense of that data and more time on finding valuable insights on behalf of the company so we can help advance not only from, uh, you know, an efficiency perspective, but also in terms of how we, how we address the, you know, top-line profitable growth of the organization. And so... Uh, what are some of the insights that you've gleaned? I mean, yes, I mean, enormous amounts of data not in, within your organisation, within PepsiCo Australia globally, um, and, and you know, in, in line with, with many other organisations in the manufacturing sector, just vast quantities of data. What sort of insights have you been able to glean? Yeah, look, the area that we've really um, accelerated on in this um, uh, business, so ANZ, is really in the commercial space. We've done a lot of great work in the past and in, in supply chain. And the back of house at PepsiCo just works pretty seamlessly where we're really investing in, and you see PepsiCo do it as our strategy is really anchored on faster, stronger, better. Yeah. So faster is how we go about growing the top line and you know things like our profit and share. Stronger is building a more 
efficient organization on the back of technology and better is really our sustainability um, agenda. So as it relates to faster, we've invested a significant amount on our commercial capabilities, mainly in the area of consumer intimacy, um, omni-channel commercial excellence and integrated planning or, or net revenue management. So some of the things that we've done in that area, for example, is like trade promotion optimization. We invest a lot of money in the trade um, in A and Z, and we obviously want to get best bang for buck on that. So we're getting the right products to the consumer at the right price. And through use of advanced analytics, we're able to help model some of those decisions that, that we need to make or want to make as a business. Sure. We'll come back to some of those points later. Just throwing it over to you, Stephanie. You've obviously been covering the industrial manufacturing space for a while, also including specifically in Australia. What are you seeing as the, as the key trends in terms of digital transformation in the manufacturing space? Well, from what I'm hearing from uh, PepsiCo, it sounds like you're a little bit ahead of the curve in, in terms That's of some of your counterparts. Kind of what I was thinking too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, um, look, you know, there's a couple of things going on here. I mean, we've got, you know, COVID, we've got, you know, a bunch of other supply chain disruptions that have been happening. A lot of manufacturers are still struggling with this. And, you know, there are a good portion of Australian businesses that see themselves as recovering from COVID circumstances, but, you know, 30% are still responding to the crisis and, and, and haven't quite got that data underfoot, I think, in order to do so. Um, and, and we're certainly seeing that. Um, however, having said that, you know, almost uh, 70 percent of uh, ANZ manufacturers are reporting that IT budgets are increasing in 2021, and they're increasing again slightly in 2022 to try and, and deal with that. So there is certainly an impetus for change. Um, it just, you know, it, 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 it's coming from a, you know, a bit more behind the curve than perhaps uh, some of the other industries that we we typically report on. Mm. What do you see as, as the kind of primary opportunities, I suppose, for still staying with you, Stephanie, for manufacturing organisations to yeah, so, get, get this technology investment right and deploy properly? Yeah, so from the shop floor perspective and, and manufacturers, they are typically looking at their asset management. And I think that's a place to start for um, most businesses because it, it dovetails into a few different areas. Quality metrics are a key focus for for you know, manufacturers regionally, but but in Australia, that really popped as a something that they're looking at. And you know, when you're looking at your assets, you, you're actually you know getting a, a multifold re response, right? You get uh, the ability to decrease downtime and therefore decrease production costs and things like that. You get the um, you know asset, you know, when assets are inefficient, they often affect quality. So if you are monitoring your assets and you have the chance to you know, turn them off before the, you, know, you get reams of, of uh, you know, poor quality items. And then you also have the opportunity to go down, you know, the sustainability angle, because obviously efficiently running assets are obviously going to be, um, you know, better for energy. So uh, better, better for energy consumption and, and reducing waste. So, so these are all, um, you know, where, where manufacturers typically start um, in Australia. After that, um, we're seeing a lot of interest in bringing data to the shop floor and data to the actual people that are using the data rather than it being the, the realm of, of, you know, IT. So we're seeing um, de increased demand for mobility devices and other interfaces that are bringing data to the users themselves, be it on the shop floor in the warehouse or, or around the organization. Um, that's another trend. Um, and the other is uh, trying to look at, you know, 
the, the forward-looking trend is probably looking at, you know, things like digital simulation and digital twin, where you're actually able to take that data and then look at, you know, what if scenarios, being able to um, determine how the market's going to react or how your uh, business is going to react to what's happening in the market. So, yeah, they're, they're just a couple of the trends that are happening out there. And the, the, the factory environment, um, Brian, does, I mean, certainly as far as PepsiCo is concerned, we were speaking recently about your factory or primary factory perhaps in Australia and how it's, it looks a lot different to how it might have looked, say, 10 years ago and to Stephanie's point about, um, you know, digital tools uh, being in the hands of people, you know, really on the shop floor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's an area we've made significant advancements in over the past few years as we refer to it as DVC. So digital value chain, um, specifically in manufacturing where we're using smart connected devices to ensure that our factory throughput is optimized, be it you know, around waste optimization, potato yield, factory efficiency through. So through the use of sensor technology, we're able to capture that data in real time. And, you know, instead of waiting until the end of day plant management meeting to identify that, you know, oil was spilling out on the floor all day, we're able to identify in real time through big dashboards that we've put up at the factories of KPIs to uh, identify where those inefficiencies in the factory are. And, you know, there's other great use cases as well as we can really get precise if we do have to do a recall on what time of the day down to the minute in terms of where something took place. Instead of saying, oh, we got to recall the entire day, we can go down and, and say, you know, between 1010 and 10, 1015 we had this here and we need to really isolate this. So uh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and in the warehouse as well, a lot of what we've done is uh, related to ASRS. So automated storage retrieval system. Um, those are dark warehouses that we have, have running and our um, uh, autopilot or our, um, uh, what do we call it? Auto guided vehicles as well as another example that Stephanie was referring to in the, in the warehouse around how we're using robotics to, to uh, conduct a lot of work in the warehouse. So that's great. And the other area is probably worth mentioning is what we're doing in precision ag as well. So equipping our growers with mobile devices so they can enter data on behalf of PepsiCo into our systems relating to our uh, potatoes. Um, and, and also how we're using IoT as well in that space to uh, really be precise with how we're managing our potato crop and water utilization. We enable any organization to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers. Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Opta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organization. Tell me more about what you're doing with um, with IoT, and of course, in the manufacturing space, we're now referring it is the referring to it as the industrial Internet of Things. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, in all of the conversation about IoT over the years, one of the, the key sectors that analysts and and, and um, commentators are focused on is the potential in manufacturing. Just like to get a little bit more from you about what you're doing in terms of IoT and sensors and, and what you've been able to achieve. Yeah, we're running a pilot for APAC at the moment in South Australia, partnered with four other vendors um, to provide us different sensor 
technology, the main use cases are water utilization. You know, Australia, the price of water the past five years has increased dramatically. And secondly, you know, we're a country that's plagued by drought. Um, so it's just the right thing to do that, you know, we make sure, you know, in a farm, you've probably seen it when you drive out um, in rural Australia pivots. So in North America, generally have long lines of potatoes and harvesters and windrowers go up and down like this. In Australia, you've got these big round pivots with an arm. Um, and that arm basically just sprays the top of the canopy with water. So with precision agriculture, what you're able to do is say, okay, the canopy is 90% green. However, over here, there's 10% that's brown. So I'm just going to spray that area. So I'm going to be precise with my water utilization, right? So it sounds fancy, but it's not just going to be precise with how I go about using water. And so we can use things like drone technology and things like that to understand that. The other... Um, uh, areas that we're, we're investing in is sensors, moisture probes as well in, into the soil. So, you know, I, I remember earlier in my career when I was working in South Africa, um, we had these farm leads that would um, travel 7,000 kilometers a month to check on fields. I don't know if you had 7,000 kilometers is a lot to do in a month. Yeah. Um, and, and they would basically- This is in, this is in South Africa, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. They would travel kind of like north of Johannesburg and across the Northwest province and into other parts of the country to go and just check these farms out every yeah. day. Yeah. And um, moisture, soil nutrition, et cetera. What trying to ascertain is, you know, when the, like they, they don't, um, in Southern hemisphere, you store potato, you don't really store potatoes. Um, Northern hemisphere, you can harvest them in September or whenever, and then store them all year and pull off of them. And you know what the quality of the potato is going to be in this part of the world. It's really kind of like fresh from the, the field. And you really need a good understanding what the potato quality is going to be when it shows up at your factory as an A, B or C grade, because that's going to dictate what you can actually manufacture. So they need to go and do a lot of these tests and stuff to understand what's coming out. So um, what we are able to do now through, you know, IOT is make the, you know, we don't have to travel 7,000 kilometers. We can sit in, you know, the living room and, and do some of those tests, tests remotely and things around soil nutrition. Um, yeah. can't remember what the elements are. I think nitrogen and, and, um, anyways, um, we're able to also do some predictive, uh, analytics around what we believe the, the quality of the crop is going to be or the yield that we're going to get from those potatoes. So that's part of what we're doing with this trial as well. And then connected things like um, weather information and, and weather stations um, so we can correlate and create these different data points so we can better predict our yield, be more precise with our water, manage pest and disease control. And, and our idea with running this pilot is if it's you know, proof of concept works out nicely, um, then we industrialize it um, and we can roll it out to, to more farms and growers across Australia and New Zealand. It needs to be done in a sustainable way though. So, you know, the assets as well that we purchase in this area shouldn't, shouldn't be overly burdensome and we should be able to plug and play them pretty easily as well. Yeah, and again, Stephanie, I'm wondering whether you're still thinking that, that maybe PepsiCo sounds like the exception that proves the rule. It sounds well, like yeah, we act together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, with the with the IoT, I think you know manufacturers have been doing um, sensors for decades, right? This is this is not something new. Um, so from that perspective, you know, 
embedding the senses is, is something that's quite commonplace, but um, bringing that, that, you know, you talk about the industrial internet of things, the, the internet word there is quite, kind of key. Um, you know, you're talking yeah. about bringing that connectivity into it. And, and we are seeing trends where organisations are starting to do this more. You know, in Australia, we've got, you know, a lot of industrial organisations from mining through to um, manufacturing that are reporting that they're looking at, um, you know, almost all devices, equipment, assets, et cetera, are, you know, going to be able to happen remotely. And, that you know, that's about 40% of the organisations. But you've still got the other 60 that are, are, you know, getting on board with this. I think this has been accelerated over the last, you know, uh, 12 to 18 months as, as we have had to deal with remote workforces and, you know, putting in those remote capabilities. You know, it, it's all well and good to say, okay, I'm going to put in Skype or, oh, sorry, not uh, Skype, um, uh, Zoom or I'm showing my age now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Zoom and the likes to enable our, our remote workers. But, um, you know, if you're on the shop floor and you need access to data, that's, that doesn't help. And, and you know, to, to Brian's point about, um, you know, having those workers cross vast distances and, and visit many plants per day, you know, that just hasn't been feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we're, we, you know, we are seeing rapid amounts of, you know, that internet uh, connectivity to sensors and or at least, you know, um, network connectivity to sensors so that they're able to pull that data off is, is increasing dramatically. Mm-hmm. And the next step where organisations are starting to look is that that OT platform investment where they're actually, you know, where we're expecting to see that over the next um, two years where, you know, operational technology platforms connecting all the sensors, bringing in, you know, being able to bring in streams of data and, and come back to, you know, what Brian was originally talking about with the, the data capabilities that they have and, you know, take the demand data, look at what's happening on the floor and, and, and marry that to how you're going to actually um, supply to customers. But with that, of course, comes another burden, which is the security aspect, right? And along with that, we're seeing, you know, this year, organizations are, are really focused on IT security, but they're expecting that over the next two years that there'll be an increased emphasis on OT security, you know, as, as they do continue the journey with cloud, bringing on more connectivity, looking at, you know, connected robots and cobots, et cetera. So, um, you know, that, that's something to be mindful of as well. So for, um, still staying with you, Stephanie, so from many manufacturers that the CIOs in manufacturing that might be listening to this show and wondering about, you know, how best to um, execute an effective IoT strategy. What does, what does an, a successful IoT platform look like as far as you're concerned? Okay. So ultimately you've got to look at the use cases that they're going to support, right? Um, and, and one of the things when looking at, you know, it's one thing to say your, your OT platform should or your Internet of Things platform should do A, but it actually needs to support uh, all the use cases that are going to be desirable for your organization. So um, usually what we suggest is looking at uh, use cases that uh, in the short term are going to enable that that connectivity, enable you to get the quick wins, for example, in, you know, making sure that you have the asset maintenance capabilities, you're able to identify, you know, failures, Um, you know, if you're, you're, you know, start with preventive, work to predictive, um, these sort of capabilities. And then as you are growing your deployments or growing your, your use case applications, then you're starting to leverage those same technologies in order to get more out of it. So you're not actually reinvesting every time you want to you know, put in a use case. You're saying, how can I extend the existing use, the use of existing technologies that I already have in place? So, you know, when you have your sensors and you, you have a platform and, and, you know, there are many companies that provide different platforms, you need to consider, you know, the analytics capabilities of those platforms and, and how you're going to apply that to, to new use cases. So where you, you start with asset 
maintenance, you work to, to identifying quality problems that could be happening on the, the shop floor. And then, you know, you move that out to, all right, how can we then identify and, and link that to an MES that's then going to allow us to switch between production lines or switch between production capabilities, depending on, you know, where's fail failures are happening. Um, you know, how then do we scale that out to the broader supply chain where I can then, you know, switch that to different factories. Um, and you can actually start to get, you know, quite extensive integrated decision-making happening based on, you know, what it fundamentally started as a, an OT platform, right? So, um, you know, looking at scaling those investments is really key because, you know, a lot of time when we go into this, we say, okay, I'm going to put sensors in the factory. Oh, it's, it's going to take me so long to get ROI out of that. But actually what you're doing is building a foundation for future use cases that you're going to then be able to leverage. Yeah, sure. Is that, is that, does that resonate with your experiences with IoT, Brian? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a couple interesting points there. The, the first, and you, aside from the, the sensors, is around the security behind all of this. So one area that PepsiCo takes extremely seriously is, is our security um, and the ability to isolate the OT network or isolate the sites has become imperative for us. So as part of this whole exercise and under DVC, the umbrella, we've also got the security component where we've created these site isolation firewalls that were through some, I think it's a Palo Alto gear, we're able to quickly knock a site offline in case there's a threat on the OT network. We're able to instantly take that entire site off the PepsiCo network um, and to, to isolate um, that site from the rest of the business. So very important aspect as it relates to the OT network and, and broader use cases. What we've been finding is that not, you know, this is a, to the point, you know, it's a, it's a big investment at first, uh, multi-year, multi-million dollar investment and not every BU across the globe can sign up for that cost, but they know long-term vision. This is where we need to get to. Um, so what we look at is different kind of tier solutions. So we may invest in, you know, the platinum standard in, in A and Z. However, we have some other markets, you know, and maybe it's in Asia or maybe it's in uh, Middle East or parts of the world there where some factories don't want to make that big, heavy investment at first. So we find a different tier solution that can pretty much accomplish the same thing and give the, give the, the business um, the insights that they need. And then as it relates to escalating for, for future use cases, you know, we refer to OT as really kind of smart manufacturing, but then we've, we've also got the concept of an entire value chain of the future with the manufacturer, the control tower sitting over top of that. So we're able to look at our supply chain from end to end. Maybe it's smart agro, like we've discussed. Maybe it's what we're doing in transportation and optimizing our logistics through network management. But these all form part of a broader value chain of the future with all kinds of different use cases. So manufacturing OT is really one investment as part of a broader strategy for us. And, and Brian, sticking with you, um, it's probably a truism to say that the, the cloud has been a critical um, factor in, in Pepsi's digital transformation. But I'd like you to just talk through with us some of your you know, challenges. I mean, obviously, moving most manufacturing, manufacturing predominantly has been bogged in, in legacy for, if you look back 20 years ago, talk me through about how you kind of managed that transformation to cloud, public cloud, hybrid cloud, whatever configurations you've kind of arrived at. Yeah, look, we're aggressively pursuing this as well. Um, so we've got a global program in place where we're identifying what solutions will we move to the cloud and what will stay on-prem. 
Um, so today, um, as an example, our kind of East Amina SAP landscape is an on-prem solution that sits at a data center in Singapore. Um, we're in the process of going through, a, I think it's our third SAP modernization, where we're bringing all PepsiCo businesses globally on Desk for HANA. It's a yep. seven-year program. Um, and we'll be looking at how do we leverage the cloud for that as well, probably of two instances of that. But outside of SAP, we're aggressively pursuing that move to the cloud for a lot of our other solutions. I think we've got like 2,200 solutions in our portfolio. So we have to go through and identify one by one, what are we going to move? And as an example, in kind of a MISA APAC, we've identified uh, kind of 40 solutions this year that we're in the process of moving, be it, you know, a gateway for something, or maybe we've got some Lotus Notes instance sitting at a factory in South Australia for some reason that we can't get rid of due to uh, legal not, regulatory not sure. requirements. I'm not um, sure do, actually. We, we recently reported, I think it was last year, that New South Wales Police was the last organisation to to, to uh, retire lot of states, but maybe maybe we're wrong, right? No, we, you got I, I Any business I've gone to, there's always somebody who's got Lotus Notes and it's always because I need to retain the data for seven years and I can't extract it. Yeah. So, um, but, um, so going going through that exercise, move, move to the cloud. Um, my, it always kind of concerns me a little with our manufacturing plants. They're 24 seven operations, right? Yeah. And, an hour of downtime you can't have. Like our factories can run for about 45 minutes um, without connectivity. And then the product starts to pile up on the floor and you have to yes. stop the factory or else you're going to lose your traceability. And you're not going to have space to, to put the fact put the product into the, into the rack. So um, we can run for about 45 minutes. Um, and that connectivity to the outside world needs to be 100% reliable. So a lot of the time that OT network, I'm sometimes skeptical of having that much dependency. You know, even if you get knocked off to the outside world, your factory can continue to run if you've got some of the stuff on-prem. So yeah. that's kind of a concern that between us and engineering as we look at this value chain of the future, yeah. this OT network stuff that we really want to move to the cloud right at this point. You've got real business continuity risk tied in with Correct, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. In that specific area, but a lot of other things are no-brainers in terms of, of, of moving what we what we do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So Steph, what are your thoughts on that? And that that's not uncommon. I mean, you know, most uh, manufacturers are looking at, you know, depending on their scale, tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars an hour, or even, you know, millions of dollars an hour if they do close down production or, or production's halted. So that that is a real risk. And that's why, you know, more than likely they're going to be looking at some sort of hybrid, whether it's on-prem cloud, you know, public cloud, or whether it's, you know, um, on-prem or edge, um, the edge capabilities that are they're building up there that are, are allowing a lot more, um, you know, buffering and processing time um, you know, for factories, especially in like factories don't end up in the middle of a city where internet connection is great, right? They end up in, in a remote location where, you know, it can get a bit dodgy at times. So, so that's what we're looking at. Um, you know, you, you are going to see those hybrid architectures continue, but cloud is certainly an area of focus and, and, you know, typically because of the nature of manufacturing, it has been, you know, more back office focused with functions like, you know, HRM and, 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 you know, sales enablement and that sort of thing. But we are expecting to see this start to move across to more asset management over the next couple of years. Again, you know, probably with the, the hybrid capabilities in, so you do have buffering and, and, you know, edge processing, et cetera, but, you know, we are, we are seeing that increase. 
Um, and I, th I think that's necessary as, as organizations are looking to have, you know, when you have cloud and IoT, it allows you to support, you know, different things. So um, we're seeing organizations push to different business models where you're looking at, you know, product as a service. We've already talked about the, the remote asset monitor uh, uh, monitoring, um, you know, having control and customer premises. So where you can actually look into some of your suppliers, manufacturing processes and be able to determine if there's disruptions there and how it's going to affect yours. So you're actually starting to see, you know, the, the network starting to connect, the ecosystem connectivity is becoming quite important. And, and that's resulting in, in different ways that we're using the data and, and different business models as well. And just going back, Brian, to you, you just mentioned it briefly, the the cybersecurity challenges. I mean, we've, you know, we've seen um, explosion in attacks over the last 18 months around ransomware and, and, and major manufacturing organisations targeted as well. Talk us through a little bit about, you know, your, your thoughts and, and how you're kind of reporting to the board, making the board feel at ease about your, you know, that you've got cyber in hand. Yeah, look, this this area and you see the, I you use some of those things that happen in the news, you know, see Honda or JBS and I, We'll bring those examples to our board in our monthly meeting and say, we don't want to be these companies, we can't afford to be these companies. Um, and, and that's a message that we cascade across the, the, the entire organization. This, this, this topic gets reported back to Ramon, our global CEO. So what PepsiCo has done is we've, we've, we have numerous what we call cyber fusion centers around the world um, where we have kind of incident management teams um, working yeah, 24 seven as well. Um, very isolated teams that <laughs> it works very well. You don't know a lot of what happens in the background with it, but these teams yeah. are managing proactively through smart technology so we can get out ahead of it. And if our suppliers or partners have vulnerabilities on their side, we help them manage that. But the, the best thing for us is uh, around education of our business. You know, we continue to see phishing and business email compromise. And um, so we take a really aggressive stance on educating the end user, you know, doing proactive phishing simulations. And we've even established leadership kind of steer codes in each BU around security where you've got legal, HR, finance, IT, the global ISG or information security group present, you know, every other month where we talk about security and incidences that are happening and what do we need to really do to escalate in that area in, in the BU? Because that's where it's happening is in the BU, right? Accounts payable, accounts receivable, compromise and, and getting access to our system. So yeah, it's a, it's a hot topic, but, uh, you know, getting that business involved and I think market by market for you know, where we're really putting a lot of effort behind is really understanding personal data. So, you know, understanding, you know, what's the local legal and regulatory requirements in Australia and how does that dovetail into our broader global IT security strategy and how do we manage incidents behind behind that as well. So um, that's one of the focus points for this year. So a lot of good things happening in that space, but it's an area that's still requires a lot of effort so sure and is that resonating with your observations about manufacturing and this explosion of data the and and the, the the connectivity now that's um that the manufacturing sector is embracing that perhaps has taken a while to embrace stephanie it, it certainly is but uh you know 
I think as Brian correctly pointed out, the, the biggest point of risk isn't actually with the connectivity in the cloud. It's actually the, the peopleware. Um, you know, you've got the hardware, the software and the peopleware. And, uh, you know, I, I used to work with a security uh, team earlier in my career. And, um, you know, most of the times the information we would get would be from, you know, doing a phone call and, and you know, mm. pretending to be somebody else. And then, you know, because this was, you know, a white, white collar hacking team, not a black collar. <laughs> but, um, you know, just to prove vulnerabilities, most of the time it happened with people. Um, having thumb drives walk onto the shop floor, for example, and have them stuck into a machine so that, you know, somebody could play some music, uh, you know, that became a point of risk, uh, or, and it still is. And we're seeing some, you know, clever security come up around that. But, yeah, definitely the, the people are the, the greater vulnerability there. And I think a lot of education campaigns, you know, that's, that's the right way to go in terms of, you know, making sure that you do harden up the security that, that is, you know, necessary to, to protect the organization because that's where it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, we, we've, we've got three mandatory trainings every year for every PepsiCo associate, and one of them is security. Yeah. yeah. Everyone has to undergo the security training every year and refresh on phishing mainly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have the same. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, two technologies that I've, I've been following quite closely and, and fascinated by augmented reality and virtual reality. Stephanie, you follow these technologies as well. Brian, you and I were talking recently about um, a very interesting use case that PepsiCo has found for those technologies um, throughout COVID. I wonder if you could uh, share that with us. Yeah, I've actually got two interesting areas in hindsight I'd like to share with you. But the, the first is um, the, the use of these real wear glasses in our factories. And as an example, we made a significant investment in South Australia. If you checked out the news kind of late last year, creating a baked line. So when you see Smith's baked on the shelves now, that's manufactured locally. It used to be, you would import baked products. So we had boxed up a line and I think it was Saudi and shipped it over to Australia and we needed to install it. And then COVID broke out. And a lot of these things, you know, you need manufacturing specialists from other countries to come and help with the commissioning of the line. Um, and we would fly them in from other markets around the world. Well, obviously, with COVID not being able to travel, what we did was we were able to put the real wear glasses on people on the shop floor and those specialists could operate from abroad. And they basically had the person on site with their hands and, you know, eyes and being told through the rare wear glasses, okay, you need to make this configuration. You need to check for this. So we, we were able to still successfully install that line and meet our targets around getting product to shelves yeah. um, throughout COVID um, through the wear of real, use of real wear glasses. And I, I heard an interesting use case yesterday. I was, we had our monthly, uh, leadership meeting and uh, first point that always gets discussed is safety so our safety lead um, for the markets comes in and talks to us about our dashboard and kpis that we track around safety and we do a lot of audits and audits are generally done when people come to site and uh, with safety audit we, we weren't able to do that and we had one in weary in, New in auckland um, just finish and we were able to still conduct that safety audit through real wear glasses with our associates from broad doing that and finishing the audit through through the use of real wear in the safety space, which I thought was pretty, pretty interesting. So that, you know, we're able to leverage them if our APAC CEO wanted to do a virtual visit of our stores. You know, you could put the glasses on the, the uh, commercial lead and they can walk the store and, you know, you can see what's what's happening in A and Z, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Um, the other one that we where we're putting some investment towards in the area of category management, and this is this is pretty interesting, or, or sales execution. So category, we've looked at um, 
shopper behavior, putting the virtual reality glasses on in a virtual store. Mm -hmm. So the shopper will walk the aisles of a virtual Woolworths in Macquarie, stocked with our products, competitor products, and we're able to track movements of the eye in terms of when they looked at the packaging, why did I pick that off the shelf versus that product there? And why did I then decide to put it into the virtual trolley? So wow. by understanding those insights, we're able to think about what our pack architecture needs to look like in terms of information that sits on the pack. Yeah. Which, which is, and I did it, I got to sit in one of the trials and we're looking at a supplier and I, you know, you kind of like, hit yourself in the head with the door and you're like, Oh, step back. And you're like, oh, there's no door there. Actually. It's just so real. Yeah. Um, and the other we've, we've done is uh, partner with local provider um, around creating these store in, or, you know, when you go walk into a grocery store and you have the end, you know, the gondola end, or you've got a little display with chips on it and stuff. Yeah. We've created a app that they can hold up and say, this is what it would look like if you had our products in the store right here. What do you think of this end? If, if you like it, let's sign up for it and, you know, actually really get an end placed there um, with, with these products and offerings on it. So also using the, the, the use of technology that we can virtually place ends in stores as yeah. an idea and work with the store manager yeah. to, 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 to go through that exercise. So that's really kind of the sales execution space around where we're using some of this technology that's that's fascinating your example of the, the consumer wearing the goggles and then protecting their eye movement when I mean, that's taken the pepsi challenge to a whole new level isn't yeah. it yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Steph, yeah. What, what are your have you, have you been seeing that sort of granular um deployment of, of those technologies in manufacturing Steph? and just wondering what your thoughts are on that too yeah yeah we are but you know the the, the use of virtual placement of the ends are you know when you're overlaying that over the reality it's it's a much better use of that technology my kids are putting dinosaurs around the house you know like <laughs> you've got virtual dinosaurs right this is this is much cooler but um yeah we are seeing that we're also seeing this increase like um you know training or or onboarding for staff so you know we're actually seeing you know similar things where you've got the 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 goggles on but you're able to walk around a factory and it tells you where the next step is right so so you know it's it's almost like you know uh, on real time, just in time, or super just in time training, where you're actually able to say, okay, now you need to walk over to here, take this out of here, you know, put this over here, and so it's actually, you know, enabling training and capabilities for staff as well. But we're, we're definitely seeing a, an explosion in the remote support area that that Brian talked about first. That's yeah. something that, that is happening a lot, at, like, you know, a lot across a number of organizations, not just with deployment of production lines, but, you know, with you're looking at um, maintenance, you're looking at, you know, getting uh, on, off-site expertise on-site. And that, you know, A, has started because of COVID, but I think people are realizing that your expertise can now be scaled a bit better, right? And, and you know, by reducing that travel time and the fatigue that goes with all the time differences, et cetera, the mm. danger there is that we then risk burning out some of our engineers with having them on too long. And that's, that's another thing that we need to be aware of. But, um, you know, as we all, all dealing with Zoom fatigue, I'm sure uh, AR fatigue will be something that we all highlight shortly. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> but, we, but yeah, we are, we are definitely seeing this explode and, and the, remote, uh, the remote support capabilities and bringing that offsite um, capability onsite is actually a prediction that we had for our Futurescape uh, predictions this year, where we actually see that increasing increment uh, quite, quite substantially as a result. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's fascinating, guys. I think we can all, all agree there's a very interesting short to medium term future ahead for the manufacturing sector. Thank you so much for joining us both on the CIO show. Thanks very much, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. In this land of droughts and flooding rains, terrifying bushfires and now ever more emboldened cyber villains, having a proper disaster recovery plan is critical to maintaining business continuity, regardless of what calamity might befall you and your organisation. We all know that being offline and or being denied access to critical data and systems can have devastating consequences, even if only for a few hours, let alone days and weeks. In our next episode, we'll be speaking with CIOs, sharing with us their first-hand experience of having to keep companies operating in the face of a major crisis, as well as expert analysts sharing their knowledge about the latest thinking, tools and techniques for digital business survival. We hope you can join us. 